0: This is black guy, white guy talking. I'm a black guy. I'm Elwin. I'm a white guy. I'm Zach. And we became friends by talking, talking about race and race relations.
1: This episode was recorded on October 8th, 2020. We had the good fortune to have with us our distinguished guest, the minister Terrell McRae. In addition to being a Baptist minister, Terrell works as a senior human resources manager of performance and talent development for one of the nation's largest transportation companies in the United States. He is responsible for the over 40,000 employees that span the United States, Mexico, and Canada. Welcome, Terrell. Thank you. Thank you, Zach. Welcome. Thank you, Ellen. We wanted to talk tonight about community and religion. Ellen, I think you had something.
0: Yeah, I'm always intrigued by religion and people who do community service and what mm. their intention is, especially mm. in in a black community what motivates people to serve? Mm. I guess I want to start off with that. What is your motivation for service?
2: yeah you know i think it's interesting when you talk about service i think service for each individual is somewhat personal meaning that the reason why i serve might not be necessarily the same reason that other people serve Mm. so i can't necessarily speak for other people but i could speak for myself and say there's a few different things that come up for me when i think about service and i have to go straight to you know the words of martin luther king because i think it's really powerful and important but he said service is the rent we pay for the life that we live and what that simply means is that you know to whom much is given much is required mm-hmm. and sometimes people don't stop to think about how they can somehow pay back in a non-monetary way for all the blessings and all the things that have been given to them so what i do service i'm doing service number one because i just think it's the right reasonable thing to do when you've been given so much and and, and i don't like i'm not just talking about material things i'm talking about you know whether it's just the health you know that i have or the, the family that i have mm-hmm. their health and prosperity is important so that, I think that's one aspect of it and then you know from a faith perspective I think it's impossible to be of any faith you know whether it be Christianity Buddhism you know Islamic faith and not have a component of service because mm-hmm. every religious mm-hmm. uh, leader understands that um, you have to give back to your community and it's mm-hmm. not about you but it's about uh, the service that you live you give up something of yourself
1: to other people and leave a part of yourself behind so that service component is really important i think to me Mm. in in my life yeah that's really powerful i think when we were talking the other day you had mentioned that as a minister you've been doing five or six burials a week sometimes and and really having vulnerable conversations with family members of people who have died of covid19 could you talk a little bit about what that's like to have those conversations with women and men family members who are close to the deceased you know for whom you're delivering eulogies yeah i mean
2: and and just a correction, a month, you know, so I'm doing about mm. five or six a month. Okay. And I think the difference for me is I am typically working with people who don't belong to a a church, if you will, or they don't mm-hmm. have a relationship with a minister. So, you know, they want a Christian, quote unquote, Christian service or a, a spiritual service in some way, but they don't have anybody to do it. And, and that's, you know, starting from that perspective is already a little bit sensitive because people aren't always willing to admit that they don't have... You you know, it's almost shameful for some people to say that, you know, I, I don't really belong anywhere. I don't, mm. I don't have a, you know, a relationship with an organization, a quote unquote religion or anything like that. So mm. when I approach these situations, I'm always very careful to understand you never know where families are. And in my situation, I don't usually get a chance to meet the deceased. So mm-hmm. I am going into these situations, really feeling people out to see it's not necessarily just what their loved one would want, but really at that moment, it's what do they want mm-hmm. for their loved one. Mm-hmm. You know, they can be really hard uh, services. I mean, you're, you're talking to people during their very most vulnerable time, um, right. you know, when they have to go through the, the process of laying to rest someone who meant so much to them. And, you know, during a time, whether their family member had COVID or not during these COVID right. times, what's been difficult is that. That it's changed the way we do everything, including Mm -hmm. pay respects to people that we love, whether it's the limiting of the people who can come to the service or just how long you can spend inside, you know, at wherever you're holding the service. It's changed everything in in very profound ways. So you can't even grieve. You you don't even have the freedom of grieving the way you want to Mm -hmm. during these really crazy times.
1: So just to be clear, this work, you're doing it in person, right? And like, yeah. And under COVID constraints...
2: Correct. Yeah, I mean we're doing this in in person, uh, face mask and and all, and mm. it's even hard sometimes. You emotionally, you want to wrap your arms around people, or at least I do. You yeah, want to give people hugs when right. you know, when you are lowering that casket into the ground. And there's a part of me, you know, where I always feel very deeply connected to mm. these families and want to wrap my arms around them. And in COVID times, you can't even do that. You know, you have to keep them at an arm's length, and just so you can't even physically. Help them bear the burden of grief right. because of the weight and the severity of this
1: situation. So it's, right. it's it's different to be and, clear. And the only way that you can wrap your arms around them is through your words yeah and so that's a great responsibility
2: yeah and i never really looked at it that way but you're you're absolutely right it's it's the words that come to you in those moments or that you feel you know kind of the spirit speaking to you that you have to allow to be the comfort and really Mm -hmm. move yourself out of the way and i think you know as a minister one of the things i'm always careful to do is you know say not my will but your will be done meaning Mm -hmm. you know Don't allow me to get so full of myself to think I can find the right words and be the perfect comforter, but allow me to be a conduit or a vessel of you to really do that work. That's powerful. So
0: I have a religious background. I grew up in a religious family, Mm -hmm. a seven day Adventist household. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of structure involved with that religion and I'm not a religious person. Let's just put it like Mm -hmm. that, but I am very respectful and also moved by people who actually take it seriously because mm-hmm. my views on religion I and mean, I've had actually a conversation today about it, about how I feel like religion can be the cause of a lot of connection, but it can also be the cause of a lot of separation as well. Oh my um, God. And a lot of strife and a lot of war and, absolutely, and, all mm-hmm. and that is, I think the main ingredient as to why I have detached myself from religion. Mm-hmm. But when I hear people such as yourself, that actually make it a point to be humble and to do the things that, you're doing and to make it a point to say like look I am not just saying it but you're practicing it It comes out in your works I think that's a big deal especially when there's a stigma around a lot of ministers that Mm -hmm. is like you know ministers just want to take your money you know what Mm I mean or take people's money and they don't give anything back and to me it's real but obviously not for all and I really have just by hearing you communicate you know you can hear the passion in your voice about the way you serve people and that's something that you can't really fake that i also see that you do work in other countries Mm -hmm. namely i guess israel africa jamaica Mm -hmm. what has Mm -hmm. prompted that i guess more of the international connection to your service
2: well first off you know i want to say thank you the fact that you could say that you know not really knowing me is is appreciative but i'll say this you know you said that not really a religious person and and i'm not a religious person either i'm not Mm. i'm not i would never claim to be i'm a spiritual person. And I say that with all the humility in the world, recognizing that we are spirits. You know, know, I always think about, I had a pastor growing up that used to say, when a dog has a baby, what is it called? Well, it's called a puppy. And, you know, when a cat has a baby, what's it called? It's called a kitten. And when a cow has a baby, what's it called? It's called a a calf, right? But when a God births a baby, what's it called? It's called human, right? Mm. And to a great extent, what he was saying is it's an extent they are an extension of themselves and so god is not religious (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm.
2: right religiosity is something that we've created exactly he is spirit and so i think that feeds into the next part of what i was going to say and that is simply you know the work that i've done internationally i have done that work and i do that work to take me out of my american eyes context there was something uniquely different about international travel right if you've never traveled internationally it's something that especially black people need to do especially black Mm -hmm man i think is important to do because when you grow up in an urban setting you know like i have and I, you know maybe you've done the same mm-hmm. you begin to see the world as your neighborhood or as your city and you don't really see the world as it is right mm. and so there is something about being immersed in a culture that really helps you be able to see people and see things for who they are and so i never forget one of my first mission trips that i did was in uh, Jamaica, right? And you think Jamaica, and you're like, oh, what a beautiful place to do missions. Well, I wasn't in, like, Ulterios or Dunn River Falls. I wasn't in the beautiful part of Jamaica. Kingston, I was in huh? the slums. <laughs> yeah, I was in Kingston. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I did that work in Kingston, and I went with an American arrogance, right? Meaning, or a religiosity arrogance at the time for where mm-hmm. I was, thinking that I was going to go, and I was going to do these great works, and I was going to teach these people something, and I was going to do anything. And from the day I got there, the quote-unquote church that we went to, to go and do this work was not nothing more than a tin structure had a tin roof on it held up by plywood and they had electricity that they had borrowed to be able to run the lights and the microphone and they were whatever chairs the the members of the church brought with them and when i say the church the church was made up i'm not exaggerating i don't think there was one person that was a member of the church that was under the age of 20. Mm -hmm. so here you have a church full of people who were made up by young people and they had this extreme passion just to want to know more about God. And they they taught me so much in that experience about being humble, about being appreciative of what you have, because they had this strong passion for their community, and they had this strong passion for worship, and they had this strong passion for of hospitality, right? So they didn't have a lot in the way of material things, but they were so rich in appreciation and for a spirit. And it really started to change my perspective through that first experience about what missions is really all about. And so when you get a chance to travel and do those things, you really start to see see that it is, um, it's not really about you, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) In some ways it is, but in most ways it's really not. And uh, it really changed the way I saw the world and saw myself. I want to kind of
0: go back a little bit to what you were saying before, you know, I was affirming you from a standpoint of, and I know we don't know each other, but I can also tell, like I said, I I grew up with a religious background Mm -hmm. and you being a minister, you have a non-structured way of communicating there's a lot of uh, pastors religious ministers who communicate in a more structured way so Mm. that's where the affirmation came from because (laughs) of I'm, i'm just being honest you know what mm-hmm. i mean because that's what i'm i'm connecting to that i'm not connecting to you know because like you said we don't know each other like that but at the right. same time i'm connecting to the fact that you're not having a structured conversation but you are connected as you said spiritually you have a spiritual connection and i actually mm-hmm. function the same way you mm-hmm. know what i mean um mm-hmm. and i really firmly believe that religiosity or religion breaks down communication it promotes absolutely you know it promotes a level of self righteousness that's Mm-hmm. toxic and it also mm-hmm. breaks down communication between humans you know what i mean it can right it can
2: i've also seen it work in in a way where it creates this um this unspoken bond and relationship i have a, a mother who i call my jewish mother my physical mother passed away and i have this jewish mother who just kind of adopted me and Sorry. she and i I uh, appreciate it thank you but she and I share like this bond or, or have, have always shared this bond from a heart connection when our religious convictions don't necessarily match up mm-hmm. some of the best relationships I've had with people have been of those of other faith because right. we understand we don't mm-hmm. get into strife or right. arguments about the fact that our faiths are different mm-hmm. we find commonality in the peace that we find in our faith uh, and yeah. so whether it's been my Jewish brothers and sisters or whether it has been my Islamic brothers and sisters mm-hmm. we still have an opportunity to have that spiritual connection because we are not so full of religiosity that we can't see the beauty of the spirits that dwell in the, in the both of us. And I think that's some of what is missing. I think, from religion today and why so many millennials and and, and Gen Xers and Gen Ys are turned away from religion because they see that structure piece that you Mm -hmm. talked about, you know, that you grew up with, right? Right. They saw the browbeating, the abusive relationships um, that Mm -hmm. churches Mm -hmm. uh, and religious organizations have historically done, right? And that's turned their stomach away from wanting to learn even more about God because they automatically associate God with man's dogma and abuse of power and corruptedness uh, Uh in the body and that's become really dangerous for a lot of people and they just said you know what I want no parts of that
0: so just to point out another level of connectivity when I'm looking at what your focuses are and your focuses in your service and your work youth leadership Christian service faith and finances career readiness personal branding you know Mm. those aren't necessarily (laughs) things that are readily available to a lot of religions a lot of religions Don't Mm -hmm. preach that. You know what I mean? It's it's a little bit. I don't want to know if this word is right or not, but it's a little unorthodox Mm -hmm. when it comes to preaching or teaching or Mm -hmm. in the service realm when it comes to faith and, Mm -hmm. you know, and service. In yep. a, I guess the conventional Structured way This is mm-hmm. Like I said Another way of connecting And affirmation Is because I'm reading this And I can automatically tell You know I'm a real estate appraiser mm-hmm. And I've appraised Some churches What I thought I knew I didn't know Right mm-hmm. So when you see Behind the scenes And you see The mm-hmm. economics of it I see the way That they're structured And it's almost Like a business But mm-hmm. it's a business That doesn't teach People business And doesn't teach Black people <laughs> right,
1: business Right it is a business mm-hmm. right? You Mm, what right. i'm saying that's what i, I learned that's the
0: biggest turnoff for me mm-hmm. so you know right. do you mind expounding on that a little bit i don't want to be long-winded but i i'm trying yeah. to get put it in the context so you can understand where yeah. my line of questioning is mm-hmm. coming from
2: and i think that's what the church has historically maybe done a little bit of a disservice right but you have to understand some of the historical perspectives too right I'll answer it in a few different ways because I, I I get exactly what you're getting at but I think the church for a long time has had to serve the purpose of just being a religious organization you have to realize the black church grew out of a place of suffrage right it grew out of a place of lack of education and so historically um, when you talk when you look at the black church especially the Baptist Church you know not as much the AME church because they are very much focused in, in education but you're talking about poor people people who only had you know the the words that they can interpret of the bible and that's what they were using to help lift each other up and give each other hope in some very you know some very hard times and so historically speaking the the black church hasn't always been a place of great education and so when you look at uh, whether the systemic part that's a that's that's a part of that you've grown to a place where it's become like this bastardized version of itself Mm and that people have taken advantage of that the church is not supposed to quote-unquote Educative is not about the Bible, right? And I think we've seen some more progressive churches, especially over the last you know decade, last couple of decades, where churches are doing more um, to be able to serve their communities and offer more services. But I, the what we oftentimes see in the church is true what we see in individuals is that we frame people and things can only be one thing, meaning that if I'm looking at Zach, I am only seeing a white male, or mm-hmm. I am only seeing a masonry, or I'm only seeing mm-hmm. a writer, right? Um, not right. realize that people can operate in so many different lanes, right? You have Mm -hmm. to, we we put people in boxes and like to keep them there, right? Right. And so when I think about my ministry, I am not just a minister. Mm -hmm. I am not just a eulogist. I am not just a HR person. I am all of those things, right? right? And so how can you begin to weave the intersectionality of all those Mm -hmm. things that I am, am and bring all of me to the table.
1: Yeah, I love that. But what we
2: too often try to do is we try to put up guardrails, right? right, And says that when I am operating as a minister, I have to take off the hat of being a finance professional. Right. Or when I am acting as a finance professional, I can't show up and be a Christian counselor. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I say I am who I am everywhere that I go. And those conversations will find, you know, I'll be talking about religion one moment and then asking you to let's look at your resume and critique your resume. figuring out how to improve it, right? Because mm-hmm. I can't put those guardrails up anymore once I've learned to expand my mind and be okay with who I am no matter where I go. Then my ministry doesn't stop only when I'm in the church. It extends right. to when I'm also in the in the boardroom at work.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's service, right? So, right. you know what I mean? That's the definition of service. Service shouldn't have limitations. Shouldn't. <laughs> you know what <laughs> I mean? If you are serving people, you're not limiting yourself to, oh, what it is that you set in place as your vision of what the definition of services, it should take on its own course because everybody has different needs. You shouldn't just say, oh, this is what I think services and I'm just going to project this onto people. If you have people, they have different needs. And it forces you to bring out the hat of helping somebody write a resume. That's the need of that person that you are servicing. They need that. They need those services. And if you can provide them, why limit them or limit that aspect of that service?
1: Yeah.
2: Right. But we see it all the time. I think we live in a society where it's a finite thing that you are just this, right? right. And that's all that you're allowed to be. I mean, think about it in our politics, right? Right. We look at people or the media tells us who an individual is and that's all that they are. Yep. Right. You know, right. it happened to Bill Cosby. You right. Know? <laughs> he became a rapist. Mm-hmm. You know, and all of a sudden, that's all he was. Right. Well, but the, all yeah. his philanthropy work and all those other things went out the window, and he was just this one thing. So, right. Well, thinking about breaking
1: breaking out of these boxes, right? You know, not mm-hmm. not just being one thing, but you know, wearing all the hats that you're given to wear, and, and being the full, complex, complicated human being that you are, and that we all are. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about. You know, I'm not sure where you were in Africa, but in whichever African countries you were in and then also in Jamaica and Israel and and what that meant to you in your life, being in those places and then coming back to America, coming back to the United States and how that was a shift in your perspective and whether that was liberating or or sort of what that brought up for you.
2: Man, that's a a loaded one. It was, in every situation, it was hard, both when I was in Africa, specifically when I was in Israel, viscerally when I was in Jamaica, I could not bring myself to get back on the plane to come home it was that incredibly excruciating like i left pieces of my mm. heart in each one of those places mm. where i was when i was in africa i was in cameroon in okay. senegal When i was in israel mm. i was all over the country i was there for two months You know, i was everywhere from tel aviv through jerusalem the knesset um mm. you know all over israel and jamaica you know really spanned the whole country either you know also so it is um I mean, wow, to, to talk about the connection that I had with all of those places, if you allow yourself to be given over to the experience and just embrace whatever will happen will happen, mm-hmm. I think it's really... It's, it, it. You almost have to, you know, feel connected to a place. And it's also really different how so many countries welcome you. I think we have this perception of you know, America. And sometimes we we haven't given ourselves we haven't done ourselves a service um, to be welcomed in places, but other places are so incredibly hospitable to us. And I just remember when I was in Israel, everywhere I went, if I stayed with host families or um, whatever the case was, people just welcomed me with open arms Mm -hmm. and just made it really hard for me to to want to
1: go. Right. I mean, I remember you saying earlier in our conversation that you, I don't know if you said specifically, but that Black Americans should really travel overseas as much as Mm -hmm. possible because Mm -hmm. there's something really powerful about that experience as a Black American. What is that that people, that listeners might not understand that they can gain from that travel?
2: So the first time I went to Israel was the first international trip I ever went. And I was a, a junior in high school. So to put it in context, I grew up in West Philly, being raised by a single mother, doing the best she could, but it never really been outside of West Philadelphia. And all of a sudden, you know, here I am 16, 17 year old something high school student who had always been in West Philadelphia. I'm put on a 16 hour flight to Israel and dropped in Jerusalem to spend the next two months in a strange country. And the farthest <laughs> that I had traveled prior to that was to visit a knot in North Carolina. I mean. And so here I am all of, a, you know, in Israel doing an immersive experience where I am learning about Judaism. I am learning about is, is the Islamic faith and I'm learning about Christianity and this two-month experience staying with families, staying in Kibbutz, staying in deserts, staying with Bedouin tribes, learning about the origins of my own faith, seeing things that were 2,000 years older than anything that I ever experienced in the United States. And so, you know, mm-hmm. as a Black man, number one, you know, growing up in Philadelphia, it just wasn't something that was really ever in the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something that you think about. It's not something that people even tell you that you can do. To a large extent, you just believe that's where you'll be, that your entire life and i think from that from that first experience i came back behaving different i came back talking different and i was labeled for it in a lot of ways you know and in, in some ways the, the people that i had, i thought that i knew couldn't accept who i had become mm. as a result of my travel and looking back on it that was okay but at the time it felt really alienating but i it's it's those things that as i started to matriculate through school it was experiences that my white friends I, were having right? They yeah. they were already doing travel. They had already done those type mm-hmm. of things. Those experiences weren't new to them. And so I think we cut off ourselves to that global context to that right. international context when people of color don't have those type of experiences to move outside of their their comfort zone what they know uh, and have experienced be able to expand their minds it's just um, it does something deep inside you from a cultural awareness from an immersive experience that i just i find it hard to even put into words that's powerful
0: it's very powerful, and I think that when you speak of that, I think it's it's not singular. I think you touch on what is a reality for a lot of black people. I would probably put it out there and just say maybe the majority of black people that have a similar circumstance. I grew up in a single parent household as well. My mother is Jamaican, and my mm. father was african from from Ghana my mom's from montego Bay, so the most of mm. my travel. <laughs> I was able to go to Jamaica a lot when I was younger. My experience is very complex as a young black youth growing up in the city. Kind of like, I guess, a lot of people don't consider uptown like the city. I grew up in uh, like Wadsworth uptown. Mm. A lot of people in the city don't consider like the city city. It's still my environment. It was right. And it was a city environment. Don't, don't, Don't let's not get it confused. My experience is well-rounded when it comes to the way I was raised and my environment. So I've had a a very interesting perspective. It's true what you were saying. It's almost as if the expectation, the white experience or white people travel is like nothing. And for the majority of black people, it's what is that? Or doesn't really happen. People are confined to their own neighborhoods and there's, there's not a lot of expansive thought because you don't interact with different people. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. You don't really have the same experience that a white person would have. Right. You understand what I'm saying? That's wh- yeah. that's where I guess the color mm-hmm. would come into play.
2: And, and, I, and I think it's opportunity, right? You know, yeah. so mm-hmm. inner city black males just don't get the same opportunities because of where our schools are, where those scholarships are. You know, you know how I got to Israel? I got to Israel because a very wealthy Jewish woman passed away, had millions of dollars and she had no kids. She just had cats. <laughs> so mm-hmm. check this out. She left it in her will that her estate form a foundation that would take kids who are inner city kids, and send them to Israel mm. for two months wow. right and the only way that you could get there is you had to be referred by somebody who went the year before mm. her attorneys would interview and decide which kids got to go mm. so she paid for it through the foundation and her death a black kid that I knew who had went the year before said hey Terrell you want to do this thing I got to refer somebody it was awesome I think you would appreciate it I said sure I interview and I got to go right mm. that was just that's luck and timing right. <laughs> you know those opportunities don't come up no. Every day But uh, I You know I talked to friends Who went to Lower Marion Who Oh yeah We're gonna go like Abroad to Italy For, uh, for a semester mm-hmm. And they do that Every year Like mm-hmm. You know um. So th- you know Those are the kind Of experiences That inner city kids Just don't Get on the regular And so And they're transformative
0: um, And it's probably tra- Right yeah. those of life, transformative
2: Experiences Yes
0: absolutely I'm so appreciative That you are able To put this In a perspective I And mean, you touch on A lot of different things And you don't leave a lot of stuff out and it seems like it's in more embedded into a spirituality and you know, it seems like your, your mission is, you know, it's an important one. You know what I mean? It's a contribution and service. It's not a practical thing for everybody and it should be, you know what I mean? It really should just be a baseline, especially for ministers, Mm -hmm. um, for ministers. It should be, to me, it should be on the forefront of everything. You know what I mean? Like, and making everybody feel included, as mm-hmm. opposed to you know what i mean like excluded and i think from ministers it's like uh put together words but like self-exalting you mm-hmm. know what i mean it really doesn't feel takes away from the feeling that i think should be there because there's a lot of mm-hmm. good stuff in religion but i think when mm-hmm. it's not applied correctly with the right i guess leadership then it all gets distorted right you know right. what i
2: mean it's like like anything. and i think unfortunately what happens is that for whatever reason when private companies do the same exact things whether it's abuse of power whether it is mismanagement of people poor leadership it never gets magnified quite the same way for mm. private organizations as it does for our churches so to be mm. clear churches are kind of damned if they do and damned if they don't mm. <laughs> you know mm. um That's they're, they're always going to be looked at as as a big bad entity because people just want to see the worst in religion and mm. will look for opportunity. I'll never forget a couple of years ago. I don't know if you remember this in the news. I'm not using him because I think he's you know, a great example, but I think it's a really good example. And that is Joel Osteen. There was a, a hurricane and, okay. or something that had gone on down in Texas. And he has a, the Superdome as his church. In, yep. Texas, in Texas. And the media pounded him for not opening the doors of his church to be a safe place for people to come in during the storm. And the truth of the matter was, he was spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to make sure that people came in right, that there was food there, that there was shelter there, and that when they came, they could come and stay for a long time and mm. be set up the right way. Mm. But all the media said was, well, why didn't you open your church doors on this day, right? And because gotcha. they wanted to focus in and tell the story that they want mm. to know that the church didn't open it when they wanted to. Right. And I think that that happens in anything. Right. Yep. But we don't, we don't ask those same questions about like, well, why doesn't UPS facilities do that? Or don't, why does not government ran postal warehouses that can store hundreds of thousands of acres? Why don't they do the same things? We focus in on the church because it's an easy target mm. to galvanize and have people wagging their finger at and saying, see, you don't live what you preach up to. What you, you preach about So in a lot of ways the, char- the church is an easy target
0: You're absolutely right I think you make A really really good point And I think there's Not enough light shed on Like private organizations That are probably Exploitive Yeah absolutely And I think that it's You know it's important To put these things In the right perspective Because things can get Distorted Especially right. in the media And it's all right. intertwined You have media That gives you some information But they don't give you All of the information Right And that can just like Skew right. your whole mindset And your perspective on what it is that's what's going
2: on right N- nor am i saying though that the church shouldn't be should be mm-hmm. let off the hook either yeah i think right. that that's important that the church also be held accountable
0: absolutely true i'm continuing to be blown away by these conversations I-, I just think that they're so important especially this one I And mean, it took a, a little bit of a turn that i didn't expect but it was a really really good one good detour for mm-hmm. me honestly it was a pleasure to hear about your travels about your work about your service it's so needed i'm very respectful of men many- ministers who
1: can put the
0: walk to the talk
1: Mm -hmm. you know what I mean yeah so, yeah yeah me too i really yeah. appreciate you terrell and appreciate you taking the time to talk with us tonight thank you for having me ellen and zach
2: you know um like I, I always appreciate having conversations and i think you know we should have more of these and so i think your podcast and exactly the work that you both are doing is needed work because people don't want to talk anymore um mm. you know you said something elwin that i think is really poignant people want to be seen I think it's more than just, you know, being heard, but people want to be seen. When I think about my ministry, whatever lens that may fall in, is that I always try to see people. You know, my prayer is that when I interact with someone, that they may not remember what I said, but they always remember how I made them feel. I think you can only have that kind of reaction and feeling mm. in people when there's an impartation that takes place. And you can only have impartation through dialogue. And so the word that you both are doing is meaningful because if someone is listening to this it may spark an opportunity for them to want to create dialogue with someone else and that's important exactly. our spirits need that right we are spiritual people who want to have connection with mm. other people but in some way it's got twisted and we want to cut ourselves off right I'm an introvert by nature but my spirit longs to want to have connection with people and so I have to then figure out how in my introversion I can satisfy that part of my spirit and I think conversation does that so thank you thank you for satisfying that part of my spirit
1: oh thank you, oh, you're, man. Welcome. Thank Honestly, you you're welcome thank you yeah thank you man it's a beautiful sentiment i Absolutely. really appreciate you we definitely appreciate that obviously much appreciated all right so we'll be in touch we we'll look forward to talking again sometime all right gentlemen all thank right. you have a great evening all right thanks thank you. you too all right bye now
0: Thank you for listening to Black Guy, White Guy Talking Podcast. Find us and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next week for episode 17. As a disclaimer, Zach and I don't pretend to speak for all white or all black people.